My name's Jason Mountford, and this is the UK Money Podcast. I'm a financial planner, and on this show, I help you learn how to earn more, invest smarter, and live the life you want to live. Every week, I bring you tips and information on investing and personal finance. I decipher the latest finance and money news into plain English, and I also interview fantastic guests. Many of these guests are from the world of personal finance, but I also talk to experts on careers, entrepreneurship, personal branding, marketing, and more. My aim for this show is to help you learn how to manage your money better, but also to help you gain clarity and direction as to what you're earning that money for. What are you trying to achieve and what does your ideal life look like? Hi guys, my name is Jason Mountford and this is the UK Money Podcast, episode 22, episode 22 this week. Thank you for tuning into my interview last week with Andy from Be Clever With Your Cash. Um, I really enjoyed that. It was something different for me, obviously first guest on the podcast. Um, it was really good to get Andy's take on on kind of his real specialty in, in the area of personal finance. And Today, I wanted to expand a little bit on one of the main points that we talked about, um, which was budgeting. Now, like we said when I was chatting to Andy, you know, budgeting is one of those things that has a bit of an icky kind of um, terminology, not terminology, but an icky kind of aura around that a lot of people are turned off by budgets. But actually, they are a fantastic, um, a fantastic tool to free up your mind about money. Um, so today, I want to go into a little bit more detail around that. And, and really, budgets are really beneficial regardless of where you are in your stage of life. So, you know, I've had clients who are earning six figures and really struggling with their day-to-day expenditure because they've not got a proper budget in place. I've also met people who are um, earning really quite low amounts of money, but they're able to to provide themselves with a really good standard of living because they're careful about how they spend their money. And before you turn off, I want to make it really clear that when I talk about budgets, it's not about cutting things to the bone so that you've got no enjoyment in your life and it sucks and you're just grinding it out. For me, a budget is about prioritizing what's important and making sure that you allocate the money to those things. It's actually about allowing you to do the stuff that you really want to do and do that guilt-free. So today I am going to be talking uh, about that um, and I'm also going to be talking about investment fees and the reason why I wanted to cover that is because I've had a really good question through on the website, theukmoneypodcast.com uh, and Matthew has sent in a really good question about fees. Um, I'm going to answer his question uh, and it's about basically how to choose the right account when you're not investing a big lump sum of money. So uh, I'm going to cover that, but it's also kind of got me thinking about fees in general, uh, especially when there's these um, free trading platforms out there. And there are are a lot of them now, like Trading212, where they kind of look like everything is completely free. And as I'm sure you will realize, nothing in this world is free, especially a big business like Trading212 that spends a lot on advertising and affiliate marketing and that sort of thing. So I'm going to explain how fees generally work from an investment uh, point of view. Now, there's a number of different ways that companies charge. uh, And so I'm going to give you kind of the three main ways that that is and how you can look to make sure that you're getting the best value for money with your investment accounts. 
So as I said, I will be uh, answering a question from Matthew that's come through on the website. Um, if you want to get in touch with me for a question or with a question, the website is a great place to do do that. So that's just the UKMoneyPodcast.com. The link is in the description, the show notes of the podcast. Um, you can jump on the contact form there and let me know what it is that you'd like uh, me to answer. As always, there's also the voice messages. So again, in the show notes, if you go down to the bottom there, you'll see leave me a voice message. And again, that's a that's a really good way to get, to get uh, to get on the show, to get on the podcast, um, and to also um, ask me your questions. Now, whilst I'm on the on the topic of getting on the podcast, I've had loads of people get in touch with me to come on and go through kind of a mock. Um, financial advice meeting. So this is, if you listened a couple episodes back, I did a call out for people to come on the show. Um, and I'm basically going to run through the, the similar co- sort of conversation that I run through with clients. So asking them, you know, what are your objectives? Give me a rundown on your financial circumstances. Talk to me about you want your what, what do you want your life to look like? To achieve a couple of things. Number one, to allow that individual person who's on the show to kind of walk through or talk through some of the questions that they might have about about money. Um, That in turn will hopefully answer a lot of questions that you guys would have as, as well. And also to give you a little bit of an insight of the financial planning process. Now, obviously, it's going to be a shortened version. It's not going to go through the whole process, but it will give you just a little bit of a taste of of the kind of conversations that we have. So I've had a lot of people getting in touch with me for that. I am going to be scheduling in those calls um, over the next few weeks. So, you know, uh, every few weeks, I'll probably drop one of those in there. So definitely stick around and and look forward to that because I think that's going to be really, really valuable and something that a little bit different that we don't don't see really on, on, uh, or I've not seen before for any finance podcasts. Now, today, the first thing I want to talk about is is this, is budgeting, right? So I'm not going to... Am I going to... I was going to say I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over the importance of budgeting, but let's just, let's just quickly revisit why that is so important. I probably don't need to really tell you that because, you know, like a, like a diet, like you know, uh, the deals. The deal with the budget is that it doesn't. It's it's not really. It shouldn't be really designed to change the way you want to spend your money. It's sh- it's just designed to highlight where potentially you're spending your money that you actually don't want to be. So what I mean by that, look, a really good example, a really simple example, is TV streaming services. Right now, these don't cost a lot in isolation. Whether that's Disney Plus, Netflix. Um, uh, Amazon Prime, whatever, whatever you've got. If you put them all together, they're like four or five quid each, um, eight quid, nine quid, whatever. But once you start to add all those up, they add up to a really significant amount of money. So because the individual ones are quite small, it can be easy to just miss them on your statement if you're ever kind of glancing through your transaction history. But they do add up and they can start to really take away from your budget. So really the, the point of a budget is just to get everything written down in black and white in front of you so you can see where your money is going. And I can almost guarantee that if you go through that process, there will be things on there that you can take away because you easily, because you didn't even realize that you were spending money on them. So actually, it's a way to, to basically free up or generate free money from your own cash flow every month purely by identifying where that money is going. Obviously, then the next step from that is maybe once you've done the budget and you've got a cash flow shortfall, then it's just about you need you know going through and working out what are the things that are, are most important to you and what can you afford um, or what's the least important to you that you can then afford to, to kind of get rid of and not pay for anymore. So like I say, it's really not about 
punishing yourself or making your life more restrictive. It's actually the opposite. Now, I have done up a, uh, a budget spreadsheet. Now, this is often the first kind of hurdle that a lot of people um, fall on. If, you, if you're maybe a student just getting into the workforce or you know, you've been in the workforce a while but you just never have really sat down and kind of done this properly, doing a budget for the first time can be quite intimidating um, because if you're not used to using things like Excel, you don't have to use Excel. A, a piece of paper and a pen will do the job just fine uh, and a calculator. Um, but Excel is a really good way to... Um, just keep things nice and neat. You can update it over time. You can um, you can add different items quite easily, take items away quite easily, and just keeps it all nice and neat. So, if you're in the, in that situation and you're kind of not sure where to start with a, with a template, I've, I've got one for you. Right. So, um, this is I'm gonna, gonna give, going to give this away for free. I'm not charging for anything like that. But what I'm going to ask you to do is, if you want a copy of this budget spreadsheet, go onto my website. Um, actually, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the specific page on the website. Um, and if you go on that page, you're just going to have to um, sign up for the, the the newsletter of the UK Money podcast, and then I will send you a copy of this budget spreadsheet. Like I say, no charge or anything like that. But it's a really good um, way for you to get started in getting everything down in black and white. So I will do also do a YouTube video of this. So I'm going to, I'm going to kind of run through this um, just today as well and just let you know kind of the main components that we put in the budget, kind of the thinking behind it. And I've got the spreadsheet up in front of me here. Um, but I am going to do a YouTube video that walks you through with the screen shared as well. So if you listen to this, you have a go yourself and you've got questions or you just not 100% sure about something, then jump on YouTube, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Again, link in the show notes. And um, I will put up a video on that soon. And also, if you when you sign up for the mailing list, I'll also mail that email that video out to you when it's, when it's ready. So really, the crux of a budget is your income and your expenses, right? That's pretty straightforward. So the first thing when you're looking at this budget spreadsheet, um, there's a section on the, left that says, on the left that says monthly income. Now, it's really important that you include all of your sources of income when you're doing a budget. So obviously, job is the first one. And this may seem obvious, but also make sure you put in your after-tax pay. So obviously, we all pay tax, we all pay national insurance. The number to really use for this is the, just the number that goes into your bank account each month, which is probably what you would have done anyway, but just in case. Um, so jobs go in there, obviously. If you are self-employed, um, you can just use the average. It's a lot harder to budget if you're self-employed. I definitely understand that. Um, but just try and use a conservative average for how much income you've got coming in. Also really important to include things like benefits. Um, and that, that is anything from, um, you know, if you're on universal credit, if you're receiving disability living allowance or PIP, if you're, if you're getting child benefit, um, working tax credits, anything like that, definitely important to put in on the budget as well. And you can include investments if you want. I tend to not because generally speaking, I think f- when you're investing the best way to manage the income from that is to reinvest the income. Um, but you know, if you're someone who maybe you've got a buy-to-let property and that forms a big part of your income, include that in. But make sure again that you're including the net amount. So if a large portion of your income comes from buy-to-lets uh, and you're getting, 
I don't know, 1000 a month from that. Make sure if you've got agency fees, you take that off it. Make sure you still take off tax, um, obviously. Um, make sure you take off uh, an amount for maintenance, things like that. Because it's those little details that can make you do all the hard work on this budget. And then two months down the line, you think, this is shit. This is not working. This is not adding up. And that is potentially one of the reasons why that would be the case is if you're leaving out those maybe um, expenses or, or adjustments to your income that um, that aren't like regular every month on the dot. So you've got all your income in, that's really the easy part. The next part obviously then is we go on to the expenses. Now, I tend to prefer monthly because I think monthly, um, number one, the majority of people get paid monthly. Number two, uh, monthly is long enough that the sums or the figures you're using are like of a reasonable size, but it's not so big and abstract over an annual basis that you kind of, it's easy to lose track. So I prefer monthly. Now for some of those figures in there, that's going to be pretty straightforward. Like rent is obviously paid monthly, mortgage is paid monthly. Um, some of them, it's going to be a little bit more complicated. So uh, ones like if you've got a, uh, let's say you've got a train ticket, like let's say you maybe not so much at the more anymore due to due to COVID, as they say. But uh, like if you uh, buy an annual pass, for example, for your train ticket, you know I would I would still put it in as a monthly amount. So you, if you pay a thousand pounds on your train ticket, you divide that by twelve and you put the put the figure in as a monthly amount. Um, there are also going to be things that aren't going to be the same every month. So groceries is the, is probably the most obvious one there. Um, and again, it's just a case of having a best guess average, going through your transaction history, looking at how often you've gone to Tesco, looking at how often you've gone to Sainsbury's or whatever, and putting that in. Now, it is a bit of a tedious process, right? Because there's two ways you can basically do this. Number one, you can eyeball it. So you can have a think about the times you've been to Tesco and you can say, I think I, well, I, I go to Tesco every Saturday. I tend to spend around 80 quid, 90 quid, whatever the figure is. I'm going to put in 90 quid. And that could be quite accurate for you. You know, if you tend to really do all your food shopping that one go uh, and that's it and you're very st uh, steady in what you get, that's fine. I know that f for my family, for example, we do a weekly shop like that. It varies a lot because, for example, we've got two dogs. Sometimes um, we'll need to be buying dog food and that's fairly expensive, but we don't buy it every time. Um, we've got two, two young kids, so we buy things like um, nappies and wipes and stuff like that. Again, they're items that you buy in bulk. They're reasonably expensive when you do buy them, but you don't buy them that frequently. So, most people will have lumpy costs like that. And so for me, again, it, it is more tedious, but the way you're going to get the best figures out of this is just going through your statements. You could even do it on a, pa a pad and a pen, have a, a, a pad and a bit of paper, a pad and a pen as you're scrolling through and just quickly jotting them down for the last couple of months, um, averaging it out, done. It is important to get detail on this, but don't feel like you need to get it to the penny. You know, if you're if you're feeling like you're, you're at roughly accurate enough, add an extra five or an extra tenner on top just to cover yourself and uh, and be done with it. Now, you'll see on the budget spreadsheet, I've got loads of different topics, um, like subheadings in here. There's like takeaways, um, transport, TV and streaming, personal loans, insurance, um, personal care, which would be things like um, hair appointments. I don't need that, obviously. Um, entertainment, childcare, hobbies, everything. And really that is the key to a budget is having 
everything in there. And that even, you know, if you like to have a few pints every Friday and watch the football or every Saturday and watch the football, you know, you need to put that in. Um, Your council tax is obviously straightforward. Clothing, clothing again is one that, you know, we don't tend to spend 50 quid a month every month on clothing. You know, it tends to be not buying any clothes for six months and then going and spending maybe 150 or 100 or 50 or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's again just about averaging and giving your best guess as to how much you're spending on everything. Now, one trap that I do see people fall into or when they're doing a budget is is aspirational budgeting. And what I mean by that is like, let's say your family does a takeaway every week and you look forward to it it's a really nice family time. You know, you get a bit pumped up about it on the day. What are we going to have? We're going to have Chinese. We're going to have Indian. We're going to have pizza. What are we going to have? What do you want? What do I want? You know, creates a bit of buzz around the family and you look forward to it and you watch Chuck the Telly on and you have a nice takeaway on a Friday night. Now, the worst thing you can do is say, guys, we need to tighten our belts. We need to get better with money. We're only going to have a takeaway once a month. You might stick to that. You might. It might happen. Your quality of life is probably going to go down because you, if you really get a lot of enjoyment out of that. Um, and that's, you know, sometimes we have to kind of take a hit in the short term to improve ourselves in the long term. But for me, the, the real big issue is that there's a really big chance of that um, you not sticking to that. And that's the same whether it is um, whether it's a takeaway or whether it's something you know more healthy for you, like uh, I don't know entering running races for example. You know those can add up; um, they can be quite expensive. So it's not about cutting yourself to the bone and expecting and saying, "Well, now that we're budgeting, we're going to live our lives differently." The first step in the budget is putting down things as they are now, because it might actually be that once you've identified a couple of those costs that you didn't, you even forgot you were spending money on, you might not actually need to cut anything further out of your budget. So first step, do the budget as it is now, make it realistic. So once you've done that, you've got your income, you've got, you've got all your expenses in there. There's also a couple of extra, a couple of sections down the bottom as other. You can um, add further lines below if you want to um, or if you need to. Uh, again, that's probably going to be something that I can show you how to do that when I do the YouTube video. Um, but once you've done all that up the top, you will see that there is a section that says summary, total monthly income, total monthly expenses, and monthly surplus or shortfall. And that's the that's the the, the big number, right? That's what you want to see. You know, do you have a budget surplus or do you have a budget shortfall? Now, at this point, from a budgeting perspective, it's going to be a bit of wait and see. You know, if you've done your um, if you've done all the figures in there, you put everything in there that is relevant to you. The next couple of months are just going to be about monitoring that and seeing how realistic it is. Now, there's loads of different ways that you can manage this. Um, probably one of the easiest ways is if you've come up as a whatever that budget surplus figure is. So let's say it's 500 quid a month. You should have 500 quid a month or there or thereabouts left at the end of the month. And if you do, and you know, when I say there or thereabouts, anywhere between kind of four and six hundred for for that figure, I would I wouldn't bother too much about. If it starts to get um, uh, if it starts to get less than that, so you're getting maybe three hundred or two hundred surplus, that would be a time to basically revisit all those figures, tally up the different sections, and just see where you're going wrong, so to speak. And it might be that there have been some outlying costs that you weren't expecting and you're not expecting again. 
in that instance, it's probably worth considering whether there are other outlying costs like that that could pop up and, and budgeting for them. But it's just about basically using a sense check and seeing whether the figures that you've estimated to start with are actually playing out and are actually realistic. But we're not just doing this for the sake of doing it, right? So if you've you've sorted out the budget, you've taken bits away, you've added bits in, whatever you need to do to come up with a budget surplus, that's all well and good. But the whole point of doing a budget is to get yourself ahead financially. And really, that doesn't that doesn't really come down to um, the budget surplus so much. Obviously, the bigger the budget surplus, the the better in a way because it gives you more money to play with, but it's what you then do with that budget surplus that is really going to make a big potential difference to your long-term financial future. Now, to illustrate that, again, in the spreadsheet in the bottom right-hand corner, you will see that I've got, I've basically got a very basic projection. I, I want to stress this is very basic, um, but the idea with it is it's just to give you a very kind of very brief overview snapshot of of the difference between just saving and just investing, number one, but also how much of a difference maintaining that budget surplus can be. So there's a couple of columns. The first one is savings at 0%. So at the moment, bank accounts pay basically 0%. Yes, you can probably get a half a percent or 0.7 or something. That would make a bit of a difference. But in my perspective, from my perspective, uh, we're going to keep it at zero because they may as well be zero. Now, in there, so this the figures I've just got on this spreadsheet here say that there's 1,009 per month budget surplus. So over the course of the first year, you're at this person's able to save £12,108. That's pretty good. You know, that's that's pretty decent um, amount. Um, and then what the projections do, do is that they, they say, you know, how much over the next 10 years with that budget surplus staying exactly the same, which the likelihood is it would change a bit. But again, this is just a very simplistic view. How much would they have after 10 years? Now, these figures might sound a bit weird, but it's just because you're saving the first 12,000 over the first year. So by year 10, I've got here, which is kind of the start of year 10, if that makes sense. This is how this is how financial modeling gets crazy, crazy complicated very quickly. But broadly speaking, after the first nine years, roughly, um, the you'd have 108,972 pounds. Um, and that is just by putting the money into a bank account that doesn't really earn any interest and adds up over time. Now, if you had taken that same surplus and invested the funds, I've got the investments at 7%. Um, and again, that's 7% net of fees and charges, net of tax, which should be fairly realistic if you're investing for a long enough time frame, you've got enough inequities and that sort of thing. Um, but rather than having £108,972, at the start of year 10, you'd have 179,000 pounds. So that's a difference of 70 grand, over 70 grand that you would have just by investing the money rather than having it sitting in savings. So really what I'm trying to trying to do here with this with this plan, with this budget plan, is to show you number one, get a budget in place, it is important, and giving you the framework to be able to do that. But number two, trying to just highlight the importance of using that budget surplus the right way. Because budgeting isn't the way to financial success. Isn't it's the starting point. It's a necessary part. But if that's all you do is have a really tight budget and put all your money in the bank, you're not going to become financially free in the future. So if you would like a copy of that budget spreadsheet, um, it, it can be found. I, I will, like I say, I'll put the link in the show, uh, the, the show notes of this podcast episode. 
but you can just find it at the ukmoneypodcast.com forward slash budget. So putting your name and email address and I will forward you over a copy of this. If you've got feedback on it, um, if there are questions you've got, uh, feel free to drop me a line, drop me a message, drop me an email on the uh, via the website as well um, and keep an eye out for that video where I'll go through this in a bit more detail. So let's talk about fees. Now, like I said, I got an email from Matthew. I'm just going to grab my phone and bring up his question. So Matthew had a question about um, about the fees on investments. And I'm just going to read it out to you. That's going to be the easiest way. And then I'm going to go into answering the question and also kind of just expanding a little bit on the main types of fees that investment managers charge or investment platforms charge. So Matthew's question is... Uh, Okay, one question I've got is that I haven't heard you cover yet is around, let me try that again. One question I've got that I haven't heard you cover yet is around ISAs. I understand the tax wrapper benefits of them, but for stocks and shares ISAs, there's always a fee of some sort. If you're only able to invest small sums a month, 25 to 50 pounds, for example, at what point do you think the fees don't justify using the ISA and a general investment account is the most cost-effective way of investing? So it's a really good question um, because I think this is becoming more of a question because of the rise of these new new investment platforms. Because for me, coming from a traditional financial planning background where I tend to deal with clients who have a decent chunk of money, the vast majority of um, inverted commas old school or traditional investment platforms charge fees as a percentage and only as a percentage. So from my perspective, it doesn't matter whether a client is investing 100000 with me or a million with me, the fees percentage-wise will be the same. If anything, they get cheaper. Um, they do get a bit cheaper if you have more money. Um, but either way, they are still charged as a percentage. So, you know, if you're on the lower end of the, of the you know, amount you have to invest, but you're still in that same bracket, then the fees shouldn't really impact. There should there should never be a point where the fees outweigh the benefit of investing. Right. So that is a that's a if, if that is kind of the case for the investment platform that you're looking at, that is a really huge red flag. Because what a lot of the the new uh, well not a lot, what some of the new platforms will do or trading apps or investment apps or whatever is that they will not charge you well they may still charge you ongoing percentage fees but they will charge like a an admin fee or a product fee or a monthly amount of five quid two two pound fifty nine quid whatever the figure is um to kind of cover their running costs for everything that they provide to you that the the app, the reporting process, buying and selling the equities or, or the funds on your behalf, basically everything that they do, the, the kind of whole service. Now, you know, in a lot of ways that does make sense. If they're a platform or an app or a, a provider that is pitched at people with lower amounts of money, the issue that they have from, from a business perspective is that small account balances aren't very cost effective for them. You know, they need to do the same amount of work for an account that has a thousand pounds in it as they do for an account that has £100,000 in it. But they don't all work this way. So I guess in answer to to Matthew's question, I don't think the question comes down to, you know, is it worth paying extra for an ISA over a general investment account? I think it comes down to if you are in a situation where that is a question that you have, you should probably find a new provider because there are plenty of providers that allow you to start with still relatively small amounts of money um, that charge the fees as a percentage. So it won't matter if you're using an ISA or a general investment account or even a pension a lot of the time. Um, 
the percentage the percentage base fees should be exactly the same. Now, you may be at a stage where you are really new in your investment journey and you've not amassed enough money to to meet the minimums for all of the you know proper platforms inverted commas that you're looking at. And in that case, you know, you've got a couple of options. You can take the hit on paying an admin fee on a smaller platform. I would say that's not a preferable option because if you're putting in £50 a month and it's charging you £5 a month as an admin fee, you need to basically earn 10% just to break even. So that's not a great place to be in. So I would suggest that probably the best option is just to to save money for a year, for six months, for however long you need to, to be able to meet that the, the minimum investment thresholds for a platform that charges fees on a percentage basis. That way you might, you, you know, you'll have a thousand pounds or 1500 or a couple of grand, whatever the case may be, and you'll be able to go into something that is cost effective. And that means the returns you're getting are actually going to be added onto your account rather than just... <laughs> Um, being earned in order to cover the fees on the platform. So, you know, when it comes to investment management costs or, or platform fees, they are the, basically the two ways that they're done. Number one, they're on a percentage basis, or number two, they're on a fixed fee basis. Now, again, these different um, these different options are uh, different or more beneficial depending on how much money you've got. So, like I say, if you've got 50 quid to invest, a £5 monthly fee is pretty um, pretty exorbitant and not really worth doing. If you've got 100 million pounds, or that's a bit ridiculous, if you've got 100,000 pounds or a million pounds, then five quid a month is very, very cheap from a percentage perspective. So it is going to come down to you know your particular account and the types of fee structures that you're looking at. But you know broadly speaking, uh, the majority of, of, of platforms will charge either a fixed flat fee or a percentage fee and, or a combination of the two. Now you've got the fee for the actual platform itself, so that would be Hargreaves Lansdowne, for for example, um, and then you've got the fee for the underlying investments, and that would be like Fidelity or BlackRock or um, Pimco companies like that. Now there, so that, that, that they're the two of the big ones, fixed fees or uh, or percentage based fees. There are also some other ways that these different companies will make money. One is trading costs. So Hargreaves Lansdowne, again, a good example of this, but the majority of them, the majority of platforms will charge a trading cost of some of some description. And it may be that they don't charge any ongoing monthly fee or percentage-based fee for the platform, but they just make their money from trading. So again, that's really important for you to think about how you invest your money. If you trade a lot, which you probably shouldn't, but if you do, you need to be really careful of choosing a free platform, inverted commas, because actually if you trade a lot, the trading costs might be quite high and it might end up being actually really quite expensive. So trading costs is another one. Another one, and this is this is um, a, a sneaky one. This one because it's really hidden, and that is what's known as a buy sell spread. And this is where this is one of the ways in which companies like Trading Two One Two do make their money, but they can call themselves fee free. And they do it in lots of other. They make money in lots of other ways, like data and stuff like that as well. But um, buy sell spreads is effectively what they charge you when you buy a share or what they offer that share to you for and what they what the price they offer you if you're selling it back on their exchange so i'm going to give you a really simple example of this so let's say there is a a a share on the market that is trading for ten dollars or ten pounds a share and that is like the actual not gross like 
yeah, gross wholesale price, ten pound a share. Now, on trading two, I'm going to pick on trading two and two. This is not me ragging out on them specifically. It's just because I know that they sell themselves as fee free. Same with like Robinhood in America. You hear a lot about Robinhood online. They do, they they offer free trading as well. Um, so we've got this. We've got our share. It's ten quid. Um, when you log on to your trading two one two app, they might rather than having 10 quid as the share price, they potentially would say the share price currently is £10.25. So what they are doing there is they are actually charging you uh, more and then fulfilling your order at a lower cost. So from your perspective, you've seen a share price, you've made a purchase, and you've received the right number of units, the right number of shares for the amount that you paid. But actually, the wholesale price is potentially less than that. And it's the same on the other side. So when you go to sell your shares, they will potentially give you a slightly lower um, amount back than the wholesale value, the wholesale share value of um, of that that um, that asset now buy sell spreads are are common you know they are common um, across all different asset classes all sorts of markets um, it's not like a it's not a shady um, uh, process but it's just something to be aware of that some places will charge you much wide what's called a wider spread than others and that can be one of the ways that they make their profit and you just got to keep in mind that nothing in this world is free especially when we're talking about finance or investing. So for me personally, I prefer to know where my money, um, know where my fees are getting charged from. You know, I don't have a problem at all with paying fees for an investment platform um, if they offer a good service and if they offer a good product and if they give me everything that I want from an investment platform. investment platform Um, because I think the more transparent that they are the better or the more easily you can you can monitor your investment performance compare them to other platforms and just broadly manage your portfolio better so thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the podcast, guys. I appreciate it. Um, I've got a couple of more interviews lined up to record over the next coming weeks so there'll be more people um, coming your way with some interesting ones on board. So I've got a couple of people from from other personal finance kind of blogs or content creators, but I've got um, I've got some people from the world of mortgages. I'm also um, looking to line up a personal branding expert as well, which is a little bit different, um, but that's going to be a, a lot of um, discussion or some discussion around earning more money, right? Because we talked about budget today. One side of the equation is cutting your expenses. The other side of the equation is earning more money. And I think personally, one of the best ways to do that is by by really pushing your personal brand, working out what you stand for, putting yourself out there to the world, regardless of your industry really, but putting yourself out there as a it's a wanky term, but a thought leader, um, but just someone with a bit of presence, somebody who who um, is worth knowing in the industry. Um, in my opinion, that's a really good way to to um, to improve your future career prospects. So that's going to be an exciting one. Um, as always, you know, please do um, give give the podcast a rating, drop me a five stars, and check out the YouTube channel as well. All the links and everything are in the show notes. I really appreciate listening to the pod- podcast, guys, and I look forward to catching up with you next week.